Lord, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for um, we thank you for your gift to us of your word. And what we would ask for this evening is that you just give us you give us those ears to hear uh, what you would have us hear in uh, in the parable that uh, that we're talking about tonight. Lord, thank you for the food. Thank you for uh, the fellowships that we've had this evening. And it's in your name we ask for those things. Amen. So, uh, I have this I have this dream over and over this kind of recurring dream, and I've heard that a lot of people have a similar dream. But in 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 the dream, I'm back in school. I'm back in college, and what's happening is that yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. The, 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 it's the day of the final exam for the class that I have definitely signed up for and completely just blown off or forgotten to attend. Like, yeah, you know it too. Completely forgotten to go to, and there are three things that are just immediately apparent about my situation. Like, first of all, the final exam is coming. Like, it is coming. Number two, I cannot stop it. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. It's on its way. And the third is that it is just 100% too late for me to do anything about getting ready for it to, uh, for, for whatever the, you know, transmogrification or organic chemistry or whatever this goofy class is that I've signed up for. I can't, it's too late for me to do anything about it. And I wake up from this dream every time in just a, just a full on panic, just drenched in sweat, freaking out. Um, but uh, for all of that, I actually kind of like it in a weird way. Uh, <laughs> because first of all, I get to, when I wake up, I get to remember that I'm not actually in college, and if anybody here still is, you know, sorry, suckers. Um, but I'm not anymore. Like, I, that's not my situation. Like, and I haven't signed up for some class that I've forgotten to go to, and there's no final exam. I get to remember all that stuff, and that sense of relief is amazing. Like, I just love the, that feeling. But second, it's kind of a good reminder that, um, that sometimes you can push off something important so long that if you're not careful with it, you can get yourself into a situation where something has gone wrong and you're too late to do anything about it. That's a bad feeling. I think we probably all had that feeling too. Um, the parable that we're talking about today feels a little bit like that in some ways. It's about being prepared. It's about not being too late, uh, not being too late to fix the thing that you knew was coming. Um, and we'll find it in the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 25, right towards the end of Matthew, verses 1 through 13. Um, and the idea is that, obviously, of course, that we've got to be prepared. And I love doing this kind of thing. I love talking about these, the, the parables and, and digging into them. It gives me the chance to examine new stuff, more things that, that I haven't really had the chance to think about before. And this parable was one of them. I'd never really spent a lot of time thinking about it, but it's a really fun one to think about. And I spent a lot of time looking at commentaries, uh, trying to figure out what was happening with the parable, learning some cool fun facts. I think we have just a couple of minutes for a couple of fun facts about parables. If you guys have been here for the last few weeks, you've heard you know, people say that what the parables are, they're, they're, they're stories, they're illustrations of a, of a deeper point that's told in kind of a sideways manner. Not, it's like an oblique, uh, reference to a, a greater point. One of the commentaries I was reading described parables even a little broader than that, rather than just the illustrations of, 
you know, a, a certain man had two sons or the kingdom of heaven will be like this. It's, it's a little bigger. It can be any kind of lesson that happens in the gospels that's not told straight on, whether that's, um, uh, you know, what, for example, one point that that commentary made was the word for, for parables. In Hebrew, it's the same word as the word for Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs is nothing else but illustrations, these pithy illustrations that are told in a little bit of an oblique manner, like a little bit of a sideways way of, of telling that story. Um, one of the other examples that I thought was really interesting was that it's something that you wouldn't expect from another interaction in the gospel. And, and, and the example was the, uh, the story of the rich young ruler earlier on in the, in the gospel of Matthew where where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, like, good teacher, you know, what do I need to do to get uh, eternal life? What do I need, you know, what do I need to do? He says, you know what to do. You, you keep the law. You obey your parents. You honor your mother and father. You don't murder anybody. Don't steal. Uh, and, the, and the young man says, look, I, I've done all that stuff. What else is, you know, what else is there? I've got that stuff under control. What else do I need to do? And he says, well, that's great. So what you need to do is sell everything you have and come give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had a ton of stuff. He was really sad about that. Uh, and Jesus used that encounter, that interaction, not just to teach the rich young man something, but he also used it to teach the disciples who were with him in sort of an oblique way, right? He used that interaction to illustrate something to them. And that was a kind of a parable, too, which I thought was really kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, one thing that's challenging about the parables and one thing that's really important for us to try to do as we go through them is to try to understand them as best we can from the perspective of the people who would originally have heard them. That sometimes can be really hard to do. Um, sometimes it's easier than others, but for a lot of the parables, we're just, we're separated from that experience by thousands of years and thousands of miles in this massive, just cultural gulf between us and what the parable is about, that context. It's really hard for us to get a handle on. This parable that we're talking about is set in the context of a, of a first century wedding. We just don't know a ton about those cultural practices. It's a little bit hard for us to connect to it. But the story itself is actually really clear. It's a great story that's got just a clean narrative. You know exactly what everybody wants and why they want it. Uh, it's a tremendous story all on its own and it's very easy to connect to in that way while it might not be as easy and just superficially easy for us to get a, our hands on from a cultural perspective so i wanted to try something a little bit different uh, ordinarily we would all follow along in your own text or it would be up on the screen but just for for this one just listen to it like it's the story just listen to the story and try to put yourself into that space of uh of the people who would have heard it. Try to get into the into the character's head just for one second. And so, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil along with them. The wise ones, they took their lamps and they also brought jars with oil. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. Now the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. 
There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to those who sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. But while the foolish ones were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. And later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, Jesus told them. Therefore, keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. And that's what this story is about. Being prepared, knowing the day or the hour. Not knowing the day or the hour, but being prepared for the day of the, or the hour and, and, and how we do that. So I don't have any kind of historical training at all. In I don't have any special knowledge of my own in first century Palestinian weddings. Um, I did what I could to read up on some of the academic work, and there's not really a whole lot of agreement on how these work and, and what these... The, the role of these, these ten virgins might have been in a, in a wedding of that time, but some of them suggested that, that uh, when two people were engaged to be married and that was arranged for them or, or however that worked, they would often be very, very young. And so in the time between the engagement and the actual wedding ceremony itself, it might take months, it might take years. And during that whole time, they would live in their families' homes until the time came for the wedding ceremony. And when the wedding ceremony came around. When the time for that came around, uh, the, the bride would prepare herself, get ready, and these 10, or it could be any number, it doesn't need to be 10, but these, you know, these young maids would accompany the bride to the groom's household. Um, and they would, you know, they'd, they'd be ready with her. They'd go, they'd go with her. Some of the commentaries that I was reading referred to them like they were bridesmaids, bridesmaids. That kind of makes sense. To me, uh, that that's kind of like a cultural anchor, I guess. They're they're young women who have a, a role, they have a job to do that's a part of the wedding, but they're not the focus of it. But they have a distinct thing that they're supposed to do. They're there to light their lamps. They're there to to bring the bride to the groom to await the groom's arrival, and uh, and to to come into the feast. Um, so. The main point to remember, I think, from, from that is that those bridesmaids, those virgins, those young women, they have a job, they have a function, but here in this parable, they all fall asleep. And that seems to be okay with everybody. Like they all fall, all, they all fall, all fall asleep. All the wise ones fall asleep, the foolish ones fall asleep. Nobody gets any kind of hassle for falling asleep. But the bridegroom shows up when he finally shows up, and it's really late. It's, they've been waiting for a long time, uh, and it's much later than anybody expected. And it's, you know, it's past midnight, they wake up, they've got to tighten up their, their lamps and get ready to go. Uh, the foolish ones, you know, you hear it, they say to the wise ones, help us out, give us some of your, give us some of your oil, ours is going to go out, we're not ready. Um, and the, the wise ones refuse, they, they won't share with them at all. And so just to, to take kind of a little exit ramp for one quick second, this was something that kind of jammed me up about this parable a little bit. I never really understood why the wise uh, virgins were such jerks about the oil. <laughs> that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I, I thought that was a, that was sort of a weird a weird situation. I think it's a, I, I think it's a, I think it's important not to get too focused on that that little issue itself right there. I don't think that's the point of the the parable. Um, I, this is a parable that's about being prepared for the coming of the kingdom of God. This isn't a parable that's about 
ethics in sharing your lamp oil with people who ask you. The Gospels are so clear about what we're supposed to do when people ask us to share or to give them something. I mean, it, it, Jesus is clearly on record about how you're supposed to react in that situation. If you've been asked for your coat, you give them your shirt. If you go one mile, you go two. It's very, very clear what we're supposed to do in that situation. So while I think it's very important that we don't get distracted about the ethics of oil sharing in first century Palestinian weddings, there may be a little piece of wisdom that we can get out of that too. Um, if this parable is about preparation, it may also be helpful to remember that there are some things that you can't borrow. There are some things that you can't borrow from someone else. You can't borrow preparation. You can't borrow discipline from anyone else. Um, and so, like I said, well, I think it's very important that we don't get distracted by why the wise ones are not sharing the way we feel like they ought to be. Uh, there may be a little something in there for us too. So uh, the wise ones say, no, no, go, go into town and, uh, and, and get some oil for yourselves. We're not going to share with you. And remember, it's very late. Uh, it's, it's midnight. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how easy it is to, to buy oil in at midnight. But uh, I, I can tell you that uh, one thing I thought of is that when, when Carrie and I got married, and this was in the late 90s in Albuquerque in New Mexico, um, when we were married, after the wedding ceremony was over, and it was an evening ceremony, after we were, after we were done, everybody gets up and they all go to the reception. Um, but we had to stay at the church to do pictures and, you know, this guy needs a thing and that guy needs some stuff and all the crazy stuff that you have to do after a wedding happens. We had to take care of all of, all of, all of that stuff. The point is, everybody else had already left and they had gone to the reception and they had descended on the food like a horde of beautiful locusts because they're all lovely people. By the time we got there, there was no food at all. Like, there was nothing to eat, period. Like, literally the only thing that we had had to eat all day was... Was wedding cake and champagne, and that was tough. Like that is a brutal situation. And <laughs> the kitchen is closed at the hotel. Like there's no room service at all. Again, like I said, it's late '90s in Albuquerque. It's not the biggest town in the world. Like there's not even a Taco Bell open at that point. Like there's no food to be had at all. So, like I said, I do not know what the 24-hour lamp oil. Uh, <laughs> vendor situation is in the Middle East like around you know a couple thousand years ago but it can't have been an easy task for these you know young women to go out and find this lamp oil but um, eventually they make their way back to where the ceremony is and you know they're trying to get in but the door is shut it the bridegroom has already arrived and the the celebration has already started um, so they call out Lord, Lord, you know, please let us in. And, and, and he says to them, you know, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. And we've heard this before in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, this is a phrase that maybe would sound familiar. Uh, just some chapters before, like literally before uh, when Will taught a few weeks ago on the two foundations. The, the verses just immediately before that parable of the two foundations was... Um, was that very phrase when Jesus again was talking about what the uh, what the coming of the kingdom would be like, and and uh, and people would say to the Son of Man, like we did these amazing things, we cast out demons, uh, we did miracles in your name, we you know we healed the sick, we did all these incredible things in your name, uh, and he says to them, 
I don't, I don't know you. Um, that's an ex- that to me, that's a terrifying moment. The parable that we're talking about today is kind of horrifying for a couple of reasons. Number one, the foolish virgins don't know that they're the foolish virgins. It's not like they went out there planning to run out of oil. These people in Matthew chapter 7 who thought that they were doing the right things turn out that they weren't. They had made a mistake a long time ago, and by the time they figure out that they've made a mistake, it's way too late to fix it. That's a scary, scary, scary feeling. Um, yeah, another, yeah, another reason it's scary is because, you know, just immediately before this, Jesus is telling his disciples what it's like at the, at the coming of the, of the kingdom. This is going to be uh, an apocalyptic, literally an apocalyptic scenario. There's the, the moon goes dark, the stars fall out of the sky, there's earthquakes and wars and, and, and trouble. It's, it's a very scary time, but it's also that scenario of possibly thinking that you're in the right, but all along you've missed something critical, something really key way back in the past. And it's too late. Um, it's too late to do anything about it. The foolish virgins are like that here. They've messed up a long time ago. And by the time they realize what they've done, it's too late for them to do anything about it. I feel like, I feel like we've all felt what that feels like at some point, right? To know that you've missed a step somewhere so far back that there's nothing you can do to fix it. Some of you might know that our oldest is off to college at the end of the summer. Um, she's headed, uh, yeah, she's headed off in the fall. And we've done the best that we can, I think we have, to get her ready to go, to prepare her, to try to make sure that she's ready uh, to face what she needs to face. And I really think, I mean, if there's anything that is, is my job as a father, that is her, our job as parents, is to get her ready to face the world in that way. And if I've messed up on that I messed up so long ago that I can't fix that in the next two months I can't fix that in the next few weeks um, I think we've done well I think we've done okay I think she's going to be fine but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that there's not that, that just cold clammy thought in the back of my head that feels like this that uncertainty what if you just think you're right you know, what if you just think you're right? So what, what do you, what do you do? How do you, you know, how can we, how can we know? Um, the rich man, the rich young ruler at the beginning, he was so sure that he was in the right. He kept the commandments. He, you know, he followed the law, but when he learned what else he needed to do, he was, he was sad and terrified because he didn't want to face that. When, when Jesus' disciples asked Jesus about that encounter right after the young man left, uh, they freaked out. They freaked out. They said, you know, why, why can't this, you know, why can't this guy uh, come into the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus' response to them was, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And, and they literally just lost it. They freaked out. Like, this is impossible. Who can do this? Who can be saved? And Jesus agrees with them. He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, with man, it's impossible. It is impossible. You can't do it. Um, but the good news is, with God, all these things are possible. So there is an element of hope that sticks with it. And what that makes me think is that it's possible. It may be that we're asking, 
it may be that we're asking the wrong question. Of course, it's impossible for me to know. Of course, it's impossible for us to do that checklist. But with God, of course, it is, it is possible. Um, just like with the rich young ruler, God invites us to follow him. Just like with the young bridesmaids, God invites us into the banquet, invites us into the feast. He asks us to step out in faith and to let go of those checklist type items that we feel like we may be holding on to or what's keeping us somewhat away from him. So what is our preparation? What, what's our oil? What is our lamp, right? What are our lamps in this situation? And I think about, um, as I thought through it, I was thinking about uh, Paul's letter to Titus uh, in chapter two. And that should be up on there. Uh, it's Titus 2, 11 and 12. And what Paul tells Titus, he says, you know, for, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I don't have it in front of me. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God teaches us to turn down these things, to live these godly lives in the present age while we wait for the coming of God. And maybe that's it. Uh, I think if, if some of you were here this Sunday, Sammy talked, it was Sammy, right? Was, I thought it was his name, okay. Uh, he talked also about uh, a passage in Second Peter on the, on the disciplines. Um, and yeah, I think if that's up there. Um, right, what he mentioned, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6, acknowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, uh, and godliness with brotherly love and brotherly affection, brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. These are the things that we can practice that are the spiritual disciplines that God calls us to do. And maybe those are the answer. I mean, maybe there's, there's, obviously there's something to that. There's some answer in that. Maybe that is the answer. But I, I personally, I feel a tension there. I feel like to me that that sounds like a checklist, that that sounds like this is the step. This is what you need to do to make sure that you're prepared for the coming of God. You need to make sure you're knocking these things off of the list. Um, when I feel that tension, I think about uh, the, the book of the, the minor prophet Joel, uh, chapter two. Um, when I feel that tension in the checklist, there's in this passage of Joel, there's this calamitous list of stuff that's gone down. It's just terrible, just mayhem all over the place. But God jumps in right about halfway through and says, Look, right now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Tear your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. God is so much more interested in the posture of your your heart, your yourself, than he is in your checklist. He's so much more interested in the way that this is pointing. He's so much more interested in you tearing your heart than tearing your garments. That that helps me to resolve where that tension is between the checklist of what I need to do to prepare and how I need to how I need to be to be prepared. Um, so what you know what do we do? And I'll admit to you that I, I struggled with this part of talking today. Um, I had a hard time 
thinking about and finding the concrete step of what we need to do. What do we need to do next? What's the next thing? What, when I leave here, what am I supposed to do? Um, and I think one reason that I had a hard time thinking about that is because it's going to, it should be, it should be different for all of us. It should be a different thing. Uh, and I think it may be important for us to resist the temptation to follow a set list of rules or guidelines or a checklist. Uh, but again, like what, what <laughs> I'm reminded of what Sammy talked about on, on Sunday. I mean, it's, it's easy to look in the mirror. You, you know what it looks like. You know where those holes are for you. I, I do. You, we all should know, right? What the, the part of your, the part of your life, the part of your heart that, that you're afraid to ask for help to resolve because you don't want the answer. Like, I, I think we, we maybe all felt something like that in the past. And that's so much more important than following the checklist. And again, like going back to what Sammy said on Sunday, you can follow these things. You can maintain the spiritual disciplines, but that's not where those won't save you. They're important. They're necessary. You have to have them. But they're not what saves you. Um, so for us leaving today, again, I, I, I really do want to resist the here's what we do next. But what we do next is carefully examine ourselves. I mean, Jesus tells us over and over, like, you ask and it's given to you, right? Um, it's not too late yet, but we're on the clock. Um, it's important that we stay awake. Now, remember, nobody in the parable that we've talked about tonight gets scolded for falling asleep at all. That's not the point. Um, but if we can examine what you know, the posture of our heart is, and, and if we don't know what the, next step is, what the next step for us is, then to have the courage to ask. And if, if the courage to ask is the next step for you, then that's where, then that's where we are. Um, I don't know what to say about it other than it should be hard. It's going to be a hard thing to do, but right now it's not too late. There will come a time when it will be too late, but for right now, we still, we still have time and we just have to remember to use it wisely. So with all that in mind, let's talk to God and, uh, and just wrap up for tonight. Lord, again, we just thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the time that you've given us, with the short time, the whatever time it is that you've given us to have. We thank you for it. You know, give us the, give us the courage to use the time the way you would have us use the time and give us the insight and the knowledge and discernment to know where those holes are for us and what you would have us do to follow you more closely. Lord, we want to, we do want to follow you. And we, we know that it's hard. We know that it's going to be hard. And although we, we, we don't today ask for you to make that path any easier, the least we ask is that you give us the strength and you give us the feet to walk on the path that you've given us. Lord, again, hear us tonight. Uh, thank you for letting us hear you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.